Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Okay, so last week I preached a message. Uh, Today is going to be part two. Uh, The title for last week was Contending for a New Testament Church Expression. And we talked about the church in Thessalonians, Thessalonica, and how Paul, as an apostle, he was there for a very short time, maybe three or four Sundays, but he commended this church and said, hey, church, you guys are an example to other churches in your region, in all of Greece. You're, you're an example of what it means to follow Jesus. And did you guys, you have that chart I put up last week. If you recall this, I, I put up a flow chart. Um, of what it may have looked like for a church to become an example um, of what Paul was talking about. And so think about the church in Thessalonica, they received the gospel, they were transformed by the gospel, and they demonstrated the gospel. And I think this was probably the best part of the message last week. Somewhere in the middle, it talks about, you know, getting a job, and everyone celebrated when I mentioned that. To work with your own hands, right? But, um, but last week, I really honed in on being transformed by the gospel, right? We should be transformed by the gospel of grace, living New Testament lives, right? We should be alive in Christ. Um, and that really looks like inward character transformation, right? The primary sign that you are a believer in Jesus is not in what you can do, it's in who you are. That you are no longer a sinner, you're a saint. You've been transformed, you used to live one way, now you live another way, right? That's called transformation. That's absolutely essential. And I also made the statement that, and I'm speaking to, because we're charismatic, we believe in the gifts of the spirit and we're gonna talk more about that today, But just because someone operates in a spiritual gift does not mean they are walking and following Jesus. We have to be very careful. We need to be alert. We need to be sober-minded, okay? In 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, hey, Satan is coming. The lawless one is coming, and he's coming, and he's doing all signs, miracles, and, and lying wonders, okay? In other words, he is doing miraculous things where everyone's jaw is dropping like, wow, that's crazy. And Jesus tells us, Matthew 7, right? Wolves are coming in sheep's clothing, right? But he says inwardly, like on the inside, they're ravenous wolves. In other words, they haven't been transformed by the gospel, They're living carnal, sinful lives. And he goes on to say, on that day, many will say, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons. We did all this great stuff. And he says, I never knew you. So Jesus is so interested in transforming you first. That is huge, okay? If we we have not been transformed, then we can't even talk about demonstrating the gospel. Are you guys tracking with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we come underneath your word. Let your word instruct us. Let your word speak to us. Let your word grow us and mature us and sanctify us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the spirit of truth. I pray this community would know truth and love the truth. I pray for any areas in our heart where we do not love the truth or we resist it or that we can't even hear it. God, I pray this morning that you would do a supernatural work on the inside of us, that we would love the truth. We would guard it. We would cherish it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, question. In talking about uh, demonstrating the gospel, 
Think about the church in Thessalonica. How do you think they went about transforming the region they lived in? Right? Paul says you've become an example and your faith is spreading everywhere. And he's like, I don't even need to really come there because you guys are already doing the work of the ministry. How do, we, how do, we, how do you think the church at Thessalonica went about doing the work of the ministry? <clears throat> I, want to, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians. I want to um, point out something, a principle that has honestly has helped me tremendously in doing the work of the ministry. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just gonna take a moment to ponder this truth. And I have a little handout for you that will you'll get here in a moment. But 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I find this principle, this truth quite incredible. Look at verse, um, verse 13. So Paul is defending his ministry. There's false apostles. There's rumors about him. And he goes on and he says in verse 13, 2 Corinthians 10, he says, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us, a sphere which especially includes you, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. And not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. Notice verse 13 in the first portion and the first portion of verse 14. He says, we are not, we will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. A sphere which especially includes you, for we are not overextending ourselves. I want to read to you the HCSB version. It says this, we, however will not boast beyond measure, but according to the measure of the area of ministry that God has assigned to us, which reaches even to you, for we are not overextending ourselves. The Amplified Version says, we, on the other hand, will not boast beyond our proper limit, but will keep within the limits of our commission or our territory, which God has granted to us as a measure which reaches and includes even you, for we are not overstepping the limit of our province. So what am I saying here? What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying in his ministry, he had limits. Think about this. Paul, an apostle, one of the greatest ones to ever live, and this man had limitations on his ministry. If you notice, he talks about in Romans and in Galatians how his ministry is to the Gentiles. Yeah, he interacts with some Jews here and there, but he says, I magnify my ministry, which is to the Gentiles. And when he first got saved, he goes off, spends time with the Lord, and he comes and he finds the disciples, and he submits his ministry to them. And in Galatians 2, it says his ministry is to the uncircumcised, meaning Gentiles. And so if Paul has limits on his ministry, do you think you and I do as well? Can you guys nod your head? Yes. Even in Acts 16, Paul is trying to move west to spread the gospel. And this is incredible. They want to preach the gospel, right? And the Holy Spirit literally forbids them from going west in Asia to spread the gospel. Like, Holy Spirit, really? Like, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm not going there for my own thing. I'm there to preach the word. And the Holy Spirit tells them no. Twice. Why? Because Paul has limits. And I believe that if we want to be effective in reaching our region, we first have to embrace that we have limitations. 
This idea that we think we can do, say, and go wherever we want to, it's not true. We have to be obedient and follow and listen to the Holy Spirit. So if you ushers, if you can pass out this little handout sheet, I believe this is going to help us greatly because when we talk about sharing the gospel, we talk about demonstrating the gospel in here, out there, we mostly get overwhelmed. We mostly don't know what to do. And I want to help us and be really practical about this. I want to talk about your sphere of influence. If you're a couple, if you could just have one per couple and then all the single Southeastern students, you just get one, right? But I'm praying for your spouse. They're, they're coming. Trust me. They're coming. Yeah. Yeah. Limitation. You're, the Lord's got you boxed in right now. That's all right. I remember when I was single, I, I thought I was invisible. I'm like, does any girl out there see you? I'm telling you, when the Lord has you in a season of singleness, you will be in that season. Oh, that's great. Okay, your sphere of influence. See, a lot of us feel like we don't do enough or we feel like we need to do a whole bunch more, but God wants to use you in your own sphere of influence. He doesn't need you stepping outside of your boundaries. Can we receive that? Can you receive that? I'm telling you, some of it, I mean, it was me, honestly, this helped me. So, I used to be so stressed out. I was like, God, my ministry is not big enough. I should be doing more. I should be traveling. I should be doing all these things and I'm not doing it. God, I'm a failure. I'm failing. And then that leads me into, well, I'm not going to share the gospel with anyone because I'm just, I'm focused on my failure. I'm a bad Christian. I should be doing way more than what I'm doing. Let's look at this. Your sphere of influence, right? You're going to spend 85, and these numbers, I just kind of thought they were good numbers, okay? Don't, um, there's no study done on this, but, <laughs> and it varies. I just thought of, here's what I did. I thought of a young adult Christian and a mom with children, and just what should their life look like? And here's what I came up with. You're going to spend around 85 to 95% of your life in this sphere, you have your family, right? Your children, your household. You got your brothers, sisters, your mom and dad, grandparents, you, your family. You have your church family, your spiritual family here, heart of the father. If you're called to be here or maybe you're visiting today, but you have a church family, that's a sphere of influence. You have your job. Your vocation, maybe you're in school, maybe you're working a lot. You have influence in that realm. And then you have your friends or your neighbors, right? The neighborhood you live in, the friends that you know, that you're connected with. You have influence in that area. And then you have the city you live in, right? Think about the grocery store that you always go to. Think about the gas station. Whatever you do in the city, think about where you go. Yeah, shopping, right? That's right. It's fall. We got the fall colors on, you know. Uh, anyone drink a pumpkin spice latte or whatever you go? I'm sorry, but pumpkin flavor stuff is just not it. I just placed a limit on that right now. All the ladies going to crucify me after, I'm sorry. The city you live in. So think about this. You are limited majority of your life. And I know there's some of us who think, wait, I'm called to the nations. I'm going to be doing like all this crazy stuff. Can I tell you? Okay, that is going to be a small portion of your life. Let's look over to the other side of the page, right? Social media. Okay, some of us spend more time on it than what we should, but hey, it's all good. There's grace, Lord, help them. But you're going to spend 
15, maybe percent of your life on social media. Like, you know, posting things, encouraging people, you know, stuff like that. And I think 15% is a lot. And then you're going to go on missions trips. You're going to maybe go across the country. You're going to go to another nation, things like that. But you're not going to spend a whole lot of your time doing that. So look at, look at your sphere of influence that you are in contact with people every single day, no matter if you are single and free and you're a young adult and you got plenty of time or you are a mom with kids at home. There is a pathway God has for you. There are boundary lines God places around you. And so when you think about sharing the gospel, being a light in darkness, we don't have to get so overwhelmed and think, oh my gosh, I have to do all of the sharing, the, I can do all of this by myself. No, no. Will you just stick to your sphere of influence? Will you stop, st- stop stepping outside the boundary lines God has placed on you? He's given you an area of ministry that's just for you. Don't worry about so-and-so. Right? First Thessalonians 4, mind your own business. I'm telling you, I got so freed up when I realized that even Paul as an apostle had limitations. Can everyone say it with me? I am limited. Amen. So all this pressure that you got to do all this stuff and run around crazy, doing all these crazy, you don't have to do that. Just stick to your sphere of influence. God will use you in your own sphere of influence. And let me tell you, when you start focusing and thinking about your own sphere of influence, there's plenty of work to be had. You start thinking about, okay, I'm going to work this week. Let me, God, what can I do at work? How can I begin to just reach them? How can I just be a light? But instead, like, we're looking at other people's lives and other people's ministries, and then we're, oh, my gosh, they're just, it's so great over there what they're doing. I'm a failure. I suck. I'm just, God's disappointing in me and all this stuff. And we end up never being a light because we're so discouraged. There is no reason to be discouraged, church. Focus on what God has called you to do. Mind your own business. Think about if we all stayed within our sphere of influence, we, we absolutely could reach this city. Yeah. Absolutely. But I'm over in someone's business. They're in my business. I'm not in my sphere of influence because I'm thinking about someone else. And that I can't be used by God because I'm focused on you. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I'm comparing. There's no need for that. Can I tell you to stop it? Stop doing that. Focus on your sphere of influence. Okay. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12. Talking about demonstrating the gospel. But I first want to talk about demonstrating the gospel in the church, right? Not only did God, through the gospel, free us from sin and the power of Satan, but he's also equipped us to do the work of the ministry. He's given you and I spiritual gifts that should be operating and functioning in the church. First Corinthians 12 And I want to talk about this chapter and even chapter 13 and 14 just at a foundational level to make sure that we're all on the same page when it comes to spiritual gifts. And so chapter 12, he really lays out spiritual gifts. Chapter 13 is the chapter of love. And then 14, chapter 14, he gets into really the practicals of prophecy, speaking in tongues. I'll tell you this, our philosophy here at Heart of the Father when it comes to spiritual gifts 
Paul says it in chapter 14, verse 26, but he says this, let all things be done for edification. We want all things, all of the spiritual gifts active in this body. Without a shadow of a doubt, we want all the gifts of the spirit moving, active, alive in this body. Why? Because you're here. And we want it to be done to build up the body. So if you're thinking, God, God, how can I help build the church, right? Jesus is building his church and he's doing it through you and he's giving you spiritual gifts to do that. That's our heart's desire here in this community. Let's read uh, verses one through three. Paul lays out a really clear truth that that must be foundational when it comes to spiritual gifts. And these three verses kind of sound maybe a little out of the loop with the rest of it, but it totally makes sense here. So he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant, right? Ignorance ignorance always leads to misuse and abuse, all right? Paul is saying, hey, when it comes to spiritual gifts, I don't want you to misuse them, and also I don't want you to abuse them. You know that you were Gentiles, when you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. For some reason, when the Holy Spirit begins to move, things get a little weird sometimes, and people say things or do things that are a little like, I don't know about that. And so Paul wants to make it very clear, hey, when you were worshiping your idols and you had your, quote, experiences and you spoke out things and you felt things, okay, New Testament Christianity, the Holy Spirit begins to move. His primary role and desire is simply to exalt Jesus. We have to believe that. When you see the Holy Spirit, we do an altar call, Holy Spirit's moving, we must think Jesus is here in the room doing what he does. He's not interested in the Holy Spirit. He's not interested in exalting you. He's not interested in exalting some angel or the moon or the stars, this new agey, like, The Holy Spirit, guys, is not interested in that. He is solely interested in exalting Jesus. Here's a statement I want to make. It is conclusive that the Holy Spirit is solely interested in exalting, magnifying, revealing, and glorifying Jesus through the usage of spiritual gifts. And that is so because the usage of spiritual gifts is a sign that Jesus is Lord of all and that all dominion, power, and authority belongs to him. Therefore, when we actively use our spiritual gifts, we are demonstrating the power of God and testifying of the kingdom to come. Spiritual gifts are a sign unto him, not unto me and how great I am or how powerful I am. If my spiritual gift causes you to worship me, something's totally wrong. And I believe every leader in the body of Christ has to make it very clear, do not worship me. It is by grace that I'm operating in his spiritual gifts. It is God's gift he gave to me. I just don't get to use it whenever I want to. I listen to him. We have to do a better job deflecting glory and worship that people want to give us. We have to sidestep it. I get it. If I just deliver to, you know, cast a demon out of you, you're going to say, thank you, Brandon. Like, I love you. They're great. I should say, I appreciate your encouragement, but like, it was Jesus. Like, here, get out the way. Here he is. He did it. Am I right? You just gave a bomb prophetic word and the person's like, well, that's the best word I've ever gotten. Wow. Okay, yeah, you're welcome, but it was, it was him. Like, he just used me. That's all. But there's something in all of us, like, we actually kind of like. You know, like, yeah, I'm the. I got the word of the Lord. I got the, this gift. I got that gift. And I, there's a place for honor. 
There's a place for appreciation and encouragement. Like, I, I need that, guys. I need your encouragement, your appreciation. I, I appreciate that. But you don't have to worship me. You don't have to, like, think about how awesome and great I am and the gifts. And God's just got yeah, so much on my life. Beloved, he has so much on your life, too. Furthermore, anyone who operates in, spiritual, in a spiritual gift and yet refuses to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord or whose lifestyle and teaching consistently contradicts the life and words of Jesus is operating under demonic powers. Let me say it again. Anyone who operates in a spiritual gift or gifts and yet refuses to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord or whose lifestyle and teaching consistently contradicts the life and words of Jesus is operating under demonic powers. I'm going to let it sit there. We have to stop receiving words and ministry from people whom we know their life is not right. Like for me, if I know your life is not right and you don't confess Christ, you don't know Jesus, you are consistently walking in sin and you come to my house and want to minister to me, I'm going to simply say no thank you. And can I tell you, church, anytime someone here is ministering to you and you feel uncomfortable at any measure, you can say, no, thank you. I actually, I want you to do that. Please do that. Tell them, no, thank you. There's a thing called boundaries. And for the person, if someone tells you no thank you, you don't have to get offended. You just have to remember God has given you self-control through the Spirit and just wait. But this idea that we just like open up our everything to whomever we don't even really know, we have to be very careful with that. Now, I don't want to create suspicion and where everyone's like, who are you? And you get suspicious and you're just kind of, you know, weird and kind of... Don't do that, right? If I don't know you and you have a word for me, I, come on, I'll talk to you. Share the word. That's okay. But for some of us who've been walking with the Lord a long time, or you're watching a lot of other ministries and everything out there, you have to be careful. Because there's something about a wolf in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. I mean, you, it, you can't tell. So Paul's making very clear here, when it, before we even get into spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit loves to magnify Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Jesus told us. In John 14, 26, he said, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things that I've already spoken to you. In John 15, 26, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will testify of the work. I'm doing. And in John 16, 14, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. And he's going to tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit loves the person of Jesus. If you say you are spirit filled, you should be infatuated with the man Christ, Jesus. This idea that you love the moon and the, this angel there, like, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit loves Jesus more than, okay, so when we as a community, we're functioning in spiritual gifts, you must really, really love Jesus. This, this idea that the Holy Spirit does like all these weird things, and no, he doesn't need you to be weird. Just, just be you. Love Jesus well. Verse 4. There are diversities of, of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different differences of ministries, but the same Lord. 
And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Notice in these three verses, he associates the gifts of the Spirit, or sorry, the gifts with the Holy Spirit. In verse 5, he associates ministries with the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, diversities of activities with God the Father. Why does he do that? Well, the Holy Spirit, as we know, releases gifts to every believer. You'll see another list in Romans 12. You can see another list in 1 Peter 4. The ministries that he's associating with the Lord are in Ephesians 4. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then you have diversities of activities. In other words, all of the assignments, all of the things that we are called to do as a people, God governs those things. He releases those things to us. And what's interesting, the word activities, it's the word we get energy from. And so you have a grace on your life to do certain things that maybe others can't do, and God gives you the energy to do them. So I was doing some work with Justin Tillinger this past week, and he's good with his hands. He can build stuff. He can design stuff. I told him, I said, hey, brother, I'm, you're the chief. I'm the Indian. I don't know how to do any of that stuff. He's good at that. Do you know that's the grace on his life, and God will give him the energy to actually do it? So think about you. Not even just spiritual gifts. The things God has called you to do, he will energize you to do it. And then verse 7. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What I want to do is I want to share eight truths about spiritual gifts. So if you're taking notes, we're going to take eight truths about spiritual gifts. The first one. You have been given the grace to exercise a spiritual gift. All right, this is very simple. You have been given grace by God to operate in a spiritual gift. Verse 7 just said it. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. That phrase, each one, literally means each time always. So you could read it this way. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one, each time, always. So when you got born again, God didn't like skip you on spiritual gifts. Like, okay, you get one, you get one. And I don't know about you, you. No, no. He didn't skip you. He gives out spiritual gifts each time, always, to each one. You know why? Because he loves you. Spiritual gifts, it's a love gift from God. He's like, I want to use you. Here you go. And then verse 11, but one and the same spirit works all these things, spiritual gifts, distributing to each one, each time, always as he wills. So the Holy Spirit wills, he desires for you to operate in a spiritual gift. And he just did, he don't just desire that. He's like, no, I desire it and here you go. Take it. So for some of you who are hiding, who are sitting on your gifts, why are you doing that? This idea that you have to wait 10 years and, and go in the wilderness and, and just be lost with God and never use your spiritual gift. No. Why are you doing that? We need you. Get, let's get active. Let's get acclimated. Let's get moving. You don't have to hide out. God's given you a gift because he wants you to use it. Some of you might ask, well, okay, how do I know, like, which gift do I have? Well, okay, you can go online. There's some tests you can take online. That's fine. But here's, here's one of the ways that my wife and I, we figure out what gifts our kids have, is that we sign them up for sports. We have them get involved. I hope they got. <laughs> we sign them up for sports. We'll piano lessons. We'll teach them this or that. We don't tell them, hey, Josie, Zeke, Cadence, just sit there and we'll just wonder and keep thinking about your spiritual gifts. Like, don't do anything. Just sit there. Don't do anything. 
We don't do that. We get them active. Oh, let's, let's go try this over here. Okay, they're not very good at that. Like Zeke draws this, this he's, I don't know if he's going to be, I don't think he's going to be a drawer because this man drew something. It was like the funniest little picture ever. But who knows, the Lord could do the miracle. But my point is like, we get them involved and active in stuff. And some of us, we want to know our spiritual gifts when we don't want to be active. Like we just want God to deposit everything into us and tell us ahead of time. He's not going to do it. Just get involved. Figure out what you're good at. And for some of you, and this is true, some of you, the way you'll figure out your spiritual gifts is by paying attention to what bothers you the most in the church. What irritates you? What frustrates you? Tell me. Because I bet that's where you're supposed to be serving. For, for example, for example, administration. Man, things are just so unorganized at the church. They, this, this, that, uh, uh, uh. Well, can I tell you, maybe it's because you see things through the lens of administration. Praise God. Okay, man, there's no healing at the church. No one's getting healed. Like, what? this is, what's going on? Maybe you have the gift of healing and you see everything through healing. Prophecy. Man, we need the word of the Lord. Like, who, has anyone got a word in this place? Maybe you have the gift of prophecy and you see everything. So instead of taking your irritations and your frustrations and just saying, oh, that, that church is horrible, they suck. Maybe, maybe we suck because you're not involved. Like, I mean, <laughs> so pay attention to the things that really rub you wrong in our gatherings. Come talk to us. Love to get you involved. Or even, honestly, when you go to work. When you go to work, what bothers you at work? What do you feel like your boss is no good at? Maybe you can offer a little bit of help. Obviously, go with humility. Don't go for his throat because then he's going to fire you and you'll be like, oh, Brandon, we need benevolence. and <laughs> We got you, but <laughs> be nice to your boss. Number two, man, I'm not going to get through all of this. Okay, this is y'all's fault. Number two, your spiritual gift, uh-oh, your spiritual gift is not for you. Your spiritual gift is not for you. How do I know? Well, verse seven, the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one, each time, always, for the profit of self. No, it's given for the profit of everyone else except you. Like, your gift should flow unto others. Your gift is not for you. First Peter 4.10, he says, As each one has received a spiritual gift, minister it one to another. When's the last time you ministered under the unction of the Holy Spirit your spiritual gift to someone? That should be a normal, that shouldn't be like a once a year, once a month. I think it should be like a, on a weekly basis we're seeking God use me, use me the gift I have my life. Use it. Number three. Third truth about spiritual gifts. Someone else's spiritual gift or gifts should not make you insecure. If you look at verses 15 through 17, and this is what we do sometimes. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. This goes back to mind your own business. Don't be caught up in someone else's gifts because it's not even theirs. And yours is not yours. It, it all belongs to the Lord. So focus on how God has gifted you and graced you and run. Number four, you do not have all the spiritual gifts. Like you individually, you don't possess all of the spiritual gifts. In verse 20 and 21, he says, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I don't need you. Like, why would, why would you ever say that? Well, because you think like you can do it on your own. Like you, you have the fullness of Christ and the gifts and the ministries, all like you encompass everything. Beloved, no, no, you don't. You actually need other people in your life. You need the grace and the gift that's on their life in your life. That's a wonderful thing. A lot of times when someone has a spiritual gift they're strong in and I'm necessarily not, I ask them to pray for me. Hey, man, pray that I would operate in that as well. Versus getting jealous, envious, I don't like them, or I say I don't even need them. That's just spiritual maturity. Number five, the fifth truth. You should exercise your spiritual gift because you deeply love and care for the body. Right? This is all of chapter 13. Why do you function and flow in the Holy Spirit? Because you love and you care for the body of Christ. Maybe for some of us, God won't allow us to operate in spiritual gifts because we lack a lot of love. We don't even care. We just want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be known. And God is saying, it's not about that. When you get your heart right, the Holy Spirit will begin to flow through you. But you have an agenda right now. And God's saying, lay down your agenda. It's not about your agenda. Yeah, verse 25, there should be no division in the body, but the members should have the same care one for another. Number six, it is healthy to desire spiritual gifts, especially the ones that are needed. Okay, look at chapter 14, verse one. Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. There's nothing wrong that you desire to be used by the Lord. That you say, Lord, I love the body of Christ so much. I love the people around me so much. Will you use me in spiritual gifts? And sometimes there are needs around you that you may not know what to do or you may not, quote, have the gift if you posture your heart before the Lord on a consistent basis, Lord, use me, use me. I believe he will use you. So I don't want to snuff out your passion and your desire for spiritual gifts. You are free to desire them. You are free to value spiritual gifts. That's a good thing. Number seven. Spiritual gifts are to be used to build up the church. 
Spiritual gifts are to be used to build up the church, okay? They're not supposed to be used to, quote, build your own ministry. They're not to be used to tear down the church. Spiritual gifts are to build up. Look at verse 3 of chapter 14. He goes on to say, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. And he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more than but even more than that, you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So he's saying, hey, the gift of prophecy builds up the church because people understand what you're saying. The gift of tongues is great. If there's no one to interpret, well, there's no building up. So let's make sure someone's there to interpret it so the body is built up because the gift of tongues and interpretation is just as powerful as prophecy because they both build the church up. Number eight, last one. All spiritual gifts, all of them, every single one, should be exercised in a peaceful, orderly, and decent manner. All spiritual gifts, every single one, should be exercised in a peaceful, orderly, and decent manner. Did I just quench the Holy Spirit? I feel like I'm getting looks right now. Like, Brandon, you done quenched the Holy Spirit. Brandon, you done told me I got to be decent. I got to be in order. Brandon, I, I don't operate that way. When the Spirit comes over me, like, I just can't help but do whatever I got to do. Okay. If that's how you think and that's how you operate, then you are out of line biblically. Just because you have a spiritual gift, you cannot trump the Scripture. That's what we do. The Spirit's on me, therefore I trump and I override. Anything the Word says, that's secondary. My spiritual gift is primary. Beloved, when we start doing that, we are heading down a road that's going to be very scary, deceptive, and confusing. Because once again... False Christ, false teachers, false messiahs will operate in spiritual gifts. So when we magnify that and think, oh, they're in their gift, that means they can say and do whatever they want. They're un they are under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Do whatever you want. Guys, that's a red flag. If you are truly under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you are still under self-control. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. Where do we think like either you operate in the spirit or you operate in self-control? You operate in the spirit and you're totally free and loose and just, ugh, you're whatever. Over here, you quench the spirit, you just religious and you just, wait. The Holy Spirit can operate in spiritual gifts and exercise self-control in you. Okay, you don't believe me. Look at verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Praise God. Let all things, all things, be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him, uh-oh, keep silent in church and let him speak to himself in God. So, two phrases jump out to me. The first one in verse 27, he says, each in turn. 
Meaning there should be a flow of the Holy Spirit where there's a line and guess what? You have to wait your turn, AKA you have to exercise self-control. Cause you gotta wait your turn. And I get there's times where like you could speak forth the word in the right setting and there's a good flow or whatever and it's more powerful, it feels that way. But Paul is saying, okay, that's, that's great, but there's gonna be order. Each in turn. And then guess what? Sorry, if you have the gift of tongues and there's no interpreter, what's he say to do? Okay, y'all didn't like to answer that one. He says, keep silent. So does that mean you can't speak in tongues in church? I speak in tongues in church. But I don't blurt it out because I know it doesn't need to be interpreted. I don't operate in that gift. But if you do, praise God, in a moment, we're going to talk about what you should do with that gift. But keep going. So let two or three prophets speak and let, them, let the others judge. But if anyone is revealed to another who sits by, that anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Once again, he's telling people to be quiet. Uh-oh. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then verse 39, therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Okay, we're told that. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. I know for some of us, that one, is, it can feel weird, it's awkward, all of that stuff. Paul commands us, says, hey, if someone has a tongue to be interpreted, do not forbid it. Let it rip. It doesn't trump the word. We need to judge it and weigh it, but let's roll. And then verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So when there is an abundance of spiritual gifts flowing, we must all learn to wait our turn, at times keep silent, and be subject one to another. He tells the prophets, the spirit of a prophet is subject to the prophets. In other words, you have to come under leadership and trust that they're going to facilitate the flow of what God wants to do. So can I tell you, we're not trying to quench you or quench the Holy Spirit. If we have told you to wait or someone told you to wait, that doesn't mean they're quenching the Holy Spirit. It just means simply wait. So a couple things here. Um, Some of the protocols I would just want to put out there so that maybe we're all on the same page. Because I'm praying God would begin to move spiritual gifts in power, bursting through the seams in this community. So in corporate meetings like Sundays, if you feel like you have a word, a prophecy, a tongue, an interpretation, something along the lines of that, come, come find us. Come to us. I know that may sound intimidating, may sound a little scary or whatnot, but you may, you're going to ask, well, what do I do? Come to us and share with us what God is speaking to you and allow us to help facilitate what God is saying. A great way to ex begin to exercise spiritual gifts is home groups. You know why? There's a sense of less pressure. So I would encourage you, if you're at a home group, Come, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday. Be praying, God, I want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Whichever gift I have, God, I'm coming to this home. I'm ready. I got a prophetic word. I have a word of encouragement. Something. Number two, this is a rule of thumb that we have. If we don't know you, you 
there's a good chance you just won't get the mic. Is that okay? Like if we have no idea and it's like your first time here and you got some, I got some word from God, then we're probably going to say no. Why? Because once again, church, we love the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Absolutely. But you know what also we love and what's primary is your lifestyle, your character. Have you been transformed by the gospel? To me, it's out of line just to hand the mic to whoever or let whoever speak and their lifestyle is just crazy. And because they're, quote, gifted. Giftedness does not trump character, integrity, the fruit of the Spirit. I'm telling you, when we get to heaven, you're going to see that you will, you've probably bore more fruit in conflict resolution versus operating in your spiritual gift. To me, it's easy to operate in the Spirit. Easy. Why? Because I just let God speak to me and I say it to you and I move on. There's some fruit for that. But I believe when it comes to like conflict resolution stuff, there is so much fruit that you could gain in that. You know why? Because it requires character. It requires humility. It requires love and forgiveness. The things that are really hard, that'll pull it out of you. It'll really test if you're really Christ-like. So for me, I'm like, God, I'm banking in on that. I'll be open and use me in gifts, but like, I want my life to be right before you. It's both in, but the priority goes on this side. And I feel like as a charismatic church, and just speaking generally to the charismatic church, we have secretly, behind the scenes, we've, we've emphasized, love this stuff, put high premium on the gifts, and low premium on character transformation by the gospel. And we're going to do both and here, but just know, we care more about you than what you can do. So we're going to ask you, well, how's your marriage going? How are you treating your kids? How are you doing at work? Does your boss even like you? Like, we, that, that stuff matters. Altar ministry. We call people up for altar ministry. I love it. I love it. God's moving. He wants to set some people free, etc. We ask for our deacons to come. We ask for the prayer team to come. And we ask them to come for a reason. Because we, as some measure, we know them. And we trust that whatever they pray for you is going to be legit. So if you're not a deacon, if you're not on the prayer team, we're asking that you refrain from ministering or praying for people because we don't know you. And maybe it's your first time here. And you may say, well, Brandon, I want to be used by God in the altars. Well, great. How about you come sign up and get involved in a prayer and altar team? It's available. It's not like you're excluded. No, there's a training process we walk with you through so that you can be involved. You know why we do that? It's, it's a safeguard. We are responsible to protecting what God is doing here in this body, and we're going to do it the best that we can. The example I give, and you've heard me say this before, I just don't let anyone come into my house and just start, hey, I'm just going to pray for your kids. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know you. Pray for my kids. Right? In the same way, if someone's up here at the altar before the Lord and you're, a random person comes and prays for them, that's not okay. We want someone who's been approved, who's been qualified, who's been through a process, and they can pray. And we ask, too, that, and this is just basic protocol. This is not like anyone's getting in trouble. It's basic stuff. That males pray for males and females for females. Is that okay? 
That wants to get normal. So if you are a guy and you have a word for a female, won't you like grab your wife? Say, hey, hey, I got a word for this lady over there. And your wife go with you. Let there be a third person involved so that nothing funny, nothing awkward comes. Guys, this stuff is good for us. This stuff, it rubs us wrong because it challenges us to make sure we're actually hearing from God. We like this free for all that I can say whatever, do whatever, no accountability. That's not godly. If you want to be godly, you need accountability. That is so good for you, for someone to say, hey, man, I don't know if that word is right. You gave me a prophetic word. I need to pray on it because I'm not sure. And you know what? Your response should be, yeah, you should pray. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't think I, I could be wrong. I don't think I am. But, like, absolutely pray. I'll pray with you, too. I remember someone gave us a prophetic word one time about one of our kids, and uh, they said it was like you're going to have a boy, but we had a girl, and um, which <laughs> there's a whole protocol now as well. Anyways, they said yeah, you're going to have a uh, a boy, and we had a girl, and he once he found out that we had a girl, he came up to Alice and he said, "I'm so sorry, I was wrong." And he didn't try to spiritualize it and say, oh, well, you know, the next one or the, th you know, eventually you'll have a boy. No, no, he said, hey, I, I prophesied you're having a, a boy and you didn't. I'm, I'm sorry. Can I tell you, I have so much respect for that man. And I'll tell you this, honestly, I, I trust, I would trust a prophetic word to come from him. Because I know if he gets it wrong, he'll own it. Praise God. Things being done decently and in order. I love it. Jesus loves it. The Father loves it. And I mentioned to you as well, anytime someone is ministering to you and you feel uncomfortable, beloved, you can say no. Can you say it with me? Say no. You probably just say no thank you. It's a little nicer, but... No thing. Guys, that's good. We want to see a greater demonstration of the power of God in this community. Absolutely 100%. And we believe we're going to see it. And it's going to come through you and from you. We want all things to be done. Let all things be done for the edification of the church. Jesus is building, building, as Barry said, always building, and he's using you. He's using me a little bit. Okay, well, didn't get through the latter half. Dave can preach it next week. I told Barry, so, so Barry and Diane are in, in the, the baby room. I said, Barry, I said, uh, man, I'm feeling the unction to preach like two, three hours today. <laughs> and he said, he said, oh, don't worry, brother. He's like, what you sow, you'll reap. <laughs> so it's 12.15. We're going to wrap up right now. <laughs> that man. I hope, I hope you guys hear my heart and you hear the word of being transformed by the gospel and demonstrating the gospel. Like we want both and. We want it all in this community. And no one, no one honestly in particular is coming in mind as far as doing things the wrong way. I'm sharing these things so that you might know the right way and you just walk in it. There's a a way we do things here. And we, we love, I'll tell you this, we love to do things this way. Stand with me. You guys, when you see Barry, tell him that he owes me because I ended early. Can we just put our, our hands out before us? Father, I thank you that you have released to us by the Holy Spirit gifts, spiritual gifts. 
And I pray that they would begin to flow through our lives. They would begin to move in this body. That the Holy Spirit would reign in this place as supreme and that power would be demonstrated through us. That the church may be built up and edified and encouraged. God, I thank you that you desire to encourage us you desire to strengthen us. You desire to release your might and your power to us. And Lord, you're going to do it through each of us, one to another. So I thank you, God, you are stirring our hearts for spiritual gifts and the activity and movement of the Holy Spirit. Would you have your way in us? But I pray for even us as parents, God, show us and teach us how to incorporate this in the home, to involve our children. We pray for the supernatural power of God over our children, that they would be transformed by you and they would demonstrate who you are. And Father, we thank you that you love order, you love peace, you love righteousness. And God, we say we do too. We love the things that you love and we hate the things that you hate. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, love you all. God bless you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.